Hello, hello, everybody. You guys, we have a very special episode for you today. We have Dr. Elliot Berlin with us today, and he's actually live with me. So that's pretty cool that I get to see his actual face live. Um, <laughs> well, via Zoom, I guess. <laughs> it feels live, like we're in the same room, I'll be it honest. It does, right? As live as you can get through a computer. I feel like this is our new norm these days. This is this is how live works. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, you know, we all got used to it. I know we did. We got used to it pretty dang fast, actually. So we're so excited to have you on today. And we have so many amazing questions that our listeners have and followers have asked. But I first want to just talk a little bit about you and who you are. So if anyone doesn't know who Dr. Elliot Berlin is, you need to know and you need to go follow his page right now. So push pause unless you're driving, maybe come do that later <laughs> and go follow at Dr. Berlin on Instagram because he's amazing and has so many incredible things and has done, I mean, for years, so many incredible things in the birth community. Dr. Berlin is an award-winning pregnancy-focused chiropractor, which if you don't know yet on this podcast, we love chiropractic care. Um, he's a certified birth doula and host of the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. So again, if you haven't followed his page or his podcast, press pause, go, go follow along and go, what's the word? Let's see, subscribe to ah. his podcast, <laughs> Informed Pregnancy Podcast. He combines his passion with entertainment with his desire to educate and spread awareness about important issues in the birth industry, which we know in the birth industry, we have a lot of issues that need to be talked about. His latest project is the brand new streaming channel on informed pregnancy and dedicated to all things fertility, pregnancy, labor, and parenting. So Dr. Berlin, I would love to actually start right there before we get into these questions. Will you tell us more about this new project that you've got going on? Thank you for having me and for the incredible work that you do. I was just telling you recently, I, I feel like we're pieces of, of an important puzzle and there are a lot of mm -hmm. pieces and working together, we can affect a lot of change. The Informed Pregnancy Plus is a streaming platform. Everything kind of grew organically from me really being a, a very medical minded person wanting to go to medical school. Sometimes little arrows pop up. I see my son play video games and he's not sure where to go. And a big arrow pops up and says, go, go this way. Go that way. <laughs> I get those arrows sometimes. And that kind of led me to a more holistic path. I fell in love with chiropractic and massage, smushed them together to make chiropractic and uh, ended up with my wife and I had a fertility struggle. And so when we ended up mm -hmm. overcoming that with natural means, when medical options ran out, we and she's a psychologist. We started this mind body program together, wellness care with an eye on helping people boost fertility. And over time, that turned into babies and pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, coming from a much more medical background, I used to work in ambulances and emergency rooms. Everything was brand new to me in the more natural front, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Terms I never heard of like doula and doula. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so I would get uh, questions a lot that I didn't know answers to. It still happens regularly. Um, and I would go out and do research, talk to experts, read, and kind of try to prepare an answer that it was not like this is what you should do or not do, but this is the facts as we know them. Yeah. And what do you want to do? And uh, as I would get the same questions over and over again, I started to sort of write that as a blog. It became a magazine for a minute when people still printed stuff. And then before I knew anything about podcasting, I was doing a podcast 
Then I made a couple of documentaries, one of them about VBAC, um, Trial of Labor. And uh, it's a beautiful film. And when we finished it, I realized the only thing I know less about making a documentary is what to do with it once you have one. How do you, how do people yeah. get to see it? And I was getting, you know, right when it came out, there was this big flash of excitement about it. There were screenings and all sorts of people were buying it in lots of different ways and showing it in lots of different ways. But then that excitement kind of fizzled out and it was out there in the blogosphere and the webosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, but people weren't finding it. I was getting these crushing emails saying, Hey, I saw your movie Trail of Labor and I really loved it. I just wish I would have seen it before I had my baby. And I right. was like, no, I made it so you could see it before you had your baby. Right. And so after talking to some of the other filmmakers in the space, I realized I'm not the only one having this problem. There's not like an easy place where people can go and yeah. get iconic films like The Business of Being Born or Gasmic Birth of Mama, Sherpa's Breast Milk, uh, so on and yeah. so forth. And so I just decided, like, why not make it easy for anybody to access from anywhere without having to pay $25 for each film and and you know and and just boom you could have it on your phone your tv and so that's how informed pregnancy plus was born and now every day we're working on acquiring licensing for more great content it's expanded from film to also web series also mind and body like yoga and meditations and Mm. workshops like my wife has a workshop on there on relationships how to still like your partner after you have a baby together it's called the afterbirth plan. We have one on sleep and it's just growing all the time and anybody can try it absolutely free at informedpregnancy.tv. And it yeah. also has apps for Apple, Android, and Roku. And it's uh, after that, it's very affordable. It's so that's what I was going to say. Yeah. It was like a six ninety nine a month or 59 a year. Like that's pretty dang affordable, right? Yeah, like- that was our goal. If you have an internet connection, a device and 60 bucks for the year, access to all this great content and um that's that's what we're hoping to achieve i don't know how i'm going to survive like just it's like each element of this is like a full-time job i uh, yeah (laughs) full-time plus right full-time plus like informed pregnancy plus um but uh thankfully we have a, a a small crew here but very dedicated to the project and very hardworking, very savvy and so it's uh, it's growing both in terms of the content and in terms of the viewership. And these films are finally, you know, have a, a, an avenue where they can make a greater impact. Absolutely. I love that so much. And, you know, something like I, w- I wish I had something like this back when I was in my childbearing years and um, or having babies, I should say, um, because like even the time, like in my opinion, like what how much time I spent researching VBAC and all the things during pregnancy and, you know, even those courses like yoga, yoga classes and all these things, I spent way more time than I would have money, right? It would have been so much worth it to just buy a subscription like this and have it all in one great platform. I I mean, that's, that's the goal. And especially for people who live in areas where there aren't prenatal yoga classes, you know, we don't have a ton yet, but we're always adding more. We have baby by Simona in there for people who can't go to a prenatal workout class. Mm -hmm. Um, She's got great workouts. So the whole idea is no matter where you are, that these tools should be accessible to everybody. And thankfully they're trickling their way through the internet and um, people are finding them and I'm getting less messages about 
I wish I had seen your film before I had my baby. So that's very rewarding in a way that, uh, that, you know, finances can't reward you that way. Okay. So we do have a review of the week. So we're going to get into that before we jump into all the amazing information that Dr. Berlin has. This is from 47104624Me. And it says, my labor and delivery nurse told me about the VBAC link. Oh my gosh, that makes me so excited. If you're a labor and delivery nurse and you're listening, thank you. Thank you for the love. And we would love for you to continue sharing with your patients. It said, I had an emergency C-section six months ago with my first baby. I planned and prepared my entire pregnancy for a non-medicated vaginal birth with midwives in a hospital. I had an amazing team. Labor was going great, hard, but I felt strong. But my son had other plans that involved that involved wrapping himself in his umbilical cord. So the sunroof exit, he went. Ha ha, she says. In my recovery room, my nurse told me that she had an H back and told me to listen to the VBAC link. I am so thankful she recommended y'all to me because I already am stoked for my VBAC and I'm not even pregnant yet. Thank you for the work you do. I can't wait for y'all to come back from your break. This was back in 2022. Says these stories fill my day with so much joy. And I take my son for our when when I take my son for my daily walks. Oh, thank you so much for your review. You guys, we do love these reviews. We appreciate them so much. We always welcome them in wherever you leave them. Google, you can um, Google the VBAC link and leave us a review. You can do it on Apple Podcasts. You can message us, you know it, wherever. We love your reviews. So bring them over and maybe they will be read on the next podcast. You are tuned into the VBAC Link podcast with Megan Heaton, who is a longtime doula and VBAC mom herself, here to help you get inspired for birth after having had a C-section. Along with this podcast, the VBAC Link offers blogs, resources, and a comprehensive VBAC course for both parents preparing for birth and doulas wanting to take their VBAC education to the next level. Be sure to follow Megan and her team on all social media platforms for even more. Although these podcast episodes are VBAC specific, it is encouraged for all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a C-section from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here is your host, Megan. Hey, women of strength, it's Megan. I wanted to share something with you in case you didn't know. In addition to this podcast and all the amazing stories and information that you will receive, we also have a website. You can find it at thevbacklink.com. That is T-H-E-V-B-A-C link.com. It is full of free resources answering your burning questions on how long to become pregnant, how to induce naturally, can you have a VBAC if you induce, and so many other topics. We also create helpful email content, so don't forget to sign up for the free emails when you see the pop-up come up. I know it's crazy because I've never met you, but I want you to know I truly love you with all my heart. I love this community, and I am so grateful to be on this journey with you. Well, and we'll make sure to have, if you guys are wondering, we'll make sure we're going to have all his links for all of his platforms in the show notes, so make sure to check out the show notes. Well, awesome. Well, without further ado, I'd love to just jump into, I mean, there's so many questions and I don't know if we'll get to all of them today, but really like one of the, I was was kind of shocked, but then I thought, oh, well, I mean, from someone that had never gone into an adjustment before, 
during, during pregnancy? I didn't know either. And one of the questions was what happens during adjustment? Like, what does that look like? You know, that's, uh, it's a, these are good. I'm sure be amazing questions because they come from real people who are very curious. It's a great question. And, and it, the answer is it's different from chiropractor to chiropractor. So generally the one thing we all have in common is that we're looking for restriction in the bones. So where two Mm -hmm. bones come together, they form a joint. There should be good movement between those two bones, a certain amount of good movement. And if they become restricted or totally locked up, they can create problems for you. It may be a problem that you feel like a loss of range of motion or Mm -hmm. swelling around that restricted joint that starts to become an issue that presses on nearby things like nerves um, or other Mm -hmm. tissue. Or it may be a problem that you don't feel. It might just be restriction where you should have fluid movement. And if you're talking about your low back, hips, and pelvis, those kind of restrictions, that's the baby's studio apartment. So where the baby should be able to move freely, your body may not be able to accommodate that. And so what we all have in common really is we look for those restrictions and we try to release them. We try to restore motion between those restricted bones around the joint. There are a lot of different ways to find them diagnostically, a lot of different ways to restore movement there therapeutically. And so if you go to a bunch of different chiropractors, you might have very different experiences. And then sometimes chiropractors also add on top of that other modalities that they do, whether it's uh, physiological therapeutic things like um, electric stim or heat or ultrasound Mm -hmm. um, or different types of body work like massage, which is what we, we tend to combine those two together in our practice. So what the adjustment is, is a restoration of movement where it was previously restricted, where two bones come together. Any two bones in the body can pretty much be adjusted but we, um, many chiropractors focus primarily on the spine and pelvis and mm-hmm. uh, maybe the major extremities. Yeah. Well, like you said, like it's the baby's apartment, right? Like I remember my chiropractor telling me how my pelvis shifted. So like my right side would shift forward. And so it kind of like be off. And she's like, you need to have that aligned for the baby to come out <laughs> of yeah. the apartment, right? Yeah. And I actually wasn't having a ton, a ton of pain. I I couldn't have told you that my pelvis was wonky like that, but she was like, it's so easy. You can do it getting in and out of a car or walking upstairs or putting like a laundry basket on your hip. You know, there's so much that happens during pregnancy. That's before the baby gets there sitting on your hip. Exactly. (laughs) Right. um, But like just my body can, your body can get out of alignment through pregnancy. That's one of the interesting things, though. If you come in, even if you do have pain, but there's nothing restricted, then on the pure chiropractic front, there's really nothing for us to do. Sometimes it's the opposite issue. Hypermobility, things are moving too much. Yeah. Um, and there, there are ways we can treat that as well, but the adjustment wouldn't be one of them in, in that direct area. But on the other hand, you could have restrictions that you don't feel, and yeah. we would still want to address them if that's what you wanted to. Yeah. So you touched a little bit on body work. I know that's kind of a question that was answered a little bit further down on our list, but I mean, what all does body work look like with that? So you kind of talked about massage and things like that. Is there more to it or is it just more like prenatal massage and then a chiropractic? Yeah, body work's a vague term, um, even more vague than chiropractic. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of different kinds. In our office, what we do is massage therapy. It's more of a clinical massage therapy. So it's focused. It's usually 25 minutes long. It's targeted on a specific area. When it comes to musculoskeletal health in general, I see myself as 
WD-40, I look for things that are stiff, tight, and restricted and try to get more motion in there. The other side of that coin is duct tape, like where things are too weak or unstable. Somebody's got to help bring those back together again. That's more like a personal trainer or physical therapist. And when we're working well together, we can get really good balance and 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 function and strength uh, around the the muscles and bones of the body. And you can really feel wonderful, even through all the different stages of pregnancy, sometimes even with multiples all the way to the end. Yeah. Um, and when things are out of whack, sometimes you just, uh, uh, not even a month into pregnancy, you'll start to feel weird things happening to your body. So body work can be a lot of different things. For us, it's that it's that more clinical, medium to deep tissue, finding muscles, tendons, and fascia that are too mm-hmm. stiff, tight, and rigid, and trying to use massage strokes to elongate them, lengthen them, and restore normal tone. Other things that we kind of infuse or trigger point therapy. Sometimes you have a, a tendon coming into a bone or the center of a muscle where there's a, a, an accumulation of all the all the tension in one area. So we use trigger points to release that. Back when I was doing birth work, we would also do a lot of reflexology, um, cranial massage, cranial sacral therapy, jaw releases, um, anything that's going to help relax the mind and body through uh, through the process. So not so much in the office. We do craniosacral therapy a lot for, we have two pediatric chiropractors that work from newborn through adolescence, and they do a lot of craniosacral. Yeah, my um, son, he, or my, not my son, my daughter, she had torticollis uh, yeah. from my C-section, actually. Like, oh interesting she like it was literally like after birth like little she and then it just kept getting worse and all of a sudden her ear was touching her shoulder right but her shoulder wasn't going up her ear was going down right taco um, neck they call it yeah it was like pretty dang bad and we went to pt and that was great but um ended up finding a cranial sacral and anyway it was amazing they did this adjustment and all of a sudden she was back up and she wasn't fussy and having um acid reflux and all these amazing things so that's so really cool gentle and yet powerful at the same time right yes that's i was like et kind of was actually hard on us like it was a lot of like forcing her to get in these positions and things and then just a few chiropractic adjustments with cranial sacral work it, it was it made me it was game changer for oh, us that's amazing and a lot of a lot more sleep for this mama right yeah here. <laughs> it's not just great for the baby it's great for the parent yeah well, awesome. Okay. So when should someone start chiropractic care during pregnancy? Or is it something like, Hey, I'm thinking about conceiving. I should start now. Or should we just always be seeing, you know, what, what does that look like? A lot of that depends on your goals. So if you want to optimize your body for pregnancy, it would be great to know ahead of time when you're definitely not pregnant, Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of stuff we can work on that we can't get to once you're pregnant, like all the core muscles, so as hip flexors, like the ones that go end up behind the baby. And loosening that stuff up, if it's tight before you get pregnant is, is ideal. So that happens in my case, more frequently, either if people are on a fertility journey or they had a pregnancy that was either difficult or birth that was difficult. No, they're thinking about getting pregnant again, and they'll come in for some pre-pregnancy body work. Um, once you're pregnant, again, it, it really depends on the goals. If you're coming for maintenance, in my view, there's not a, really a time that's too early. We do make modifications in the first trimester, and then we make modifications again, different types as you get bigger and your body changes. And, uh, but there's always ways that we can, almost always ways we can get you comfortable 
situated on a massage table and or a chiropractic table and find those restrictions and release them. So I would say our typical patient comes in the second trimester, so maybe somewhere around 20 weeks, unless they're coming for something specific like sciatic pain or positioning issues or just getting ready for birth and they come later. Um, And they tend to come maybe twice a month during that middle part of the pregnancy. And then at the end, in the last month or two, they'll come once a week to get ready for birth. We don't prescribe a hard and fast, you know, number of visits or frequency of visits. It really depends on your goals and how you're feeling and what, you know, your life, what, what kind of resources you have or want to put into it. Yeah, that's what I did in the end of pregnancy. I kind of did like every other week, so twice a month. And then then in the, the very last few weeks, like my 39th to f- almost 41, I ended up going a couple times because I started getting some discomfort um, and feeling like some sciatica pain and things like that. I think my baby, I mean, he proved his point. He was hanging out in my back um, and yeah, in labor. He did that for like 42 hours. It was, oh my it goodness. was fun. It Ouch. was so oh, fun. Sorry. And I was adjusted twice during, during my during my labor. Wow. And I full on believe, I mean, I believe that my team and everything that I had created, that space that I created definitely was an impact. But I swear that my chiropractor really did impact my VBAC. Like, some people swear by us and some people swear at us. It's, uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, I know. Well, I'm, I'm really grateful that you're able to have the VBAC and that, um, you know, structure and function are important when you're yeah. trying to get a baby through. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I saw switches in my labors with both adjustments. Right. And so it's so awesome. And that was one of the questions is, can we get adjusted in labor? And what, and are there symptoms that maybe say that we should? You know, as a doula, I've been to a few births where we're seeing kind of this lag in this labor and the same thing, and we're working through all our positions, but something's not quite working. And we say, hey, let's go get an adjustment and we'll go to the chiropractor with them. And then things big time shift mm-hmm. and we've got a baby. But yeah, are there signs that someone could use an adjustment and then Maybe, you know, we've got people in a rural area where they can't have access to a chiropractor, right? Or maybe they're already in the hospital and sometimes chiropractors nowadays, come in. Yeah, nowadays, I don't let too many people in with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, always, ideally, we we try to get, we try to get, that's why we switch to once a week as you're getting closer to the end so that ideally you go into labor freely adjusted. movable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With, with enough WD-40 to carry you through. But yeah, there, there's no problem generally doing adjustments during labor. Some people just kind of schedule it and say, hey, will you come check on me when I'm in labor? Mm-hmm. Um, and other times we get called when, when there are some signs. Um, if labor s- slows, if there's not progression, like things don't progress. At, and I would use air quotes, a reasonable time frame. If the baby is not in a great position, if there's back labor, like what you were talking about, mm-hmm. those are all signs that, you know, it's worth checking. Are there restrictions here in the pelvic bones? Um, yeah. Your pelvis is not a solid bone. It is a bunch of bones connected by soft tissue. It has the ability to expand and contract and accommodate or even facilitate the baby's movements. But if everything is just in a vice grip, then it may not be able to do that the same way. It's more, it can be more resistant to the movements. 
And mm-hmm. so being able to, we don't do anything to the baby. We're, we're musculoskeletal specialists. We do things to your muscles and bones and make them more functional. That could make you a lot more comfortable. It could provide a, an environment in which the baby is better able to line up with the runway, things like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's never a guarantee. Sometimes I'll get to a birth and there's really nothing to adjust. In my case, I also do body work. So um, at the very least, I can do some body work. There's a, a lot of reflexology points that are are just calming. There's, um, you know, those famous hip squeezes or counter pressure on the sacrum and lots of different massage stuff we can do to open up muscles. You know, a lot of what I do in the office, I learned from birth, like when, when mm-hmm. someone's in labor and they're having these weird muscle spasms with each contraction and you, you realize, oh, that is so tight. And I, I never would have guessed ahead of time that it was going to be. So then you know, as part of labor prep, I'll explain to somebody, do you want to release these muscles because they can play a role? Because sometimes you can see what looks like the direct effect. It's all anecdotal. Mm-hmm. I don't know any great studies on this, but where all of a sudden things start to loosen up that like where those spasms are during labor and they loosen up and, and all of a sudden you start to see progress, you know, a healthy yeah. progression. And the other thing that you see a lot with body work is somebody, especially in an unmedicated birth, I don't, I don't think there is anything like unmedicated birth. Either you get medications or you make your own. And the ones that you make look pretty cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if there's someone who's not medicated medically, there's this m- major transition that you can see when a surge comes through and she doesn't feel totally safe or relaxed and she'll start to tighten up and mm-hmm. sort of not consciously, but fight the, the surge, fight herself really. Mm-hmm. And um, that can look pretty violent sometimes. And then yeah. with body work, you can sort of help the nervous system relax to a point where it doesn't feel like it's in danger. Like it doesn't feel like it has to fight even when intensity comes. Mm-hmm. And that's the most rewarding thing to me from being at birth you know, when, when I see that shift to someone who's like, oh, wait a second, this is tolerable, much more tolerable if I don't fight it. And right. they get the confidence to relax into it and they realize, okay, I got this. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not always, the, in my case, at least it's not always the adjustment, it's some body work. Things that people could do on their own, you know, there's there's all the, all the doula tricks, you know, if the baby's not lined up while well, the peanut ball, but sometimes you can actually, you can roll, you know, different parts of the low back, glutes, piriformis, if they're acting up on you. There's some stretching. You can do some of those spinning babies exercises that come in really handy. Uh, So there's, there's other stuff that you can do even if you can't get a chiropractor over there. Hey, mamas. For those of you who didn't know, I'm a birth doula. And I'm often asked what my favorite prenatal supplements are. And let me tell you, it is hands down needed. The research that they have done and the quality in their products are mind blowing. They are making sure that you have not only the key ingredients, but also the optimal amount. Check out all of their products at thisisneeded.com and enjoy 20% off by using code VBAC20. That is VBAC20. One of the clients that I went to, her chiropractor um, with during labor, he showed me this like, I don't even know what it was. It was like this tight, maybe ligament or something like right down next to the bum, like right yeah, next above it, like the butt um, coming kind of like on the side. And it was like, 
like honestly by the butt crack like that's where it was like this tight thing and he's like do you feel that and i would like feel it and it was like so tense uh-huh and he said during contraction press on that and i would press and eventually it just released and all of a sudden we had transition coming oh, it's really cool. interesting i didn't i don't even know what that is but he's like press right here and i could feel it it was tight it was really uh, interesting yeah and, then, and you find those little things like that you know in labor and then with you know with permission a little trial and error you can sometimes really find a gem that's helpful for birth or that yeah. you can do ahead of time or that you could train a partner or a doula to do. Mm-hmm. And um, it can make a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. So we were just talking about our pelvis, how it moves and shifts and all these things. And um, CPD, cephalopelvic um, disproportion, is a common, as you probably know, diagnosis in C-sections and people wanting to have a VBAC. It's given a lot, in my opinion, too often. Um, I mean, I was given it myself, told I would never get a baby out of my pelvis. Oh, wow. um, and so so that's a big question is how can someone tell the shape of their pelvis? Does it matter? Can they make their pelvis, quote unquote, bigger during birth? And what can we do to help these babies navigate through this pelvis without getting this diagnosis of your pelvis is too small? Well, uh, you know, I think the first most important thing is always with a VBAC is to line yourself up with a provider who's really VBAC supportive, not just tolerant. Um, And you, if you feel really trusting that your providers like that, then they're only going to tell you things. They know your goal and they're supportive of your goal. They're only going to tell you things that, that are well thought out or, or that aren't just, you know, fear-based. So what happens there's a few things coming together here number one there's the pelvic paradox you see somebody with really tiny hips give birth to a nine or ten pound baby with no you know no hiccups like smooth and then you see somebody who has big hips maybe they've been told their whole life wow you're gonna have great hips for birthing and a six pound baby gets stuck and doesn't come out how do you explain the pelvic paradox so one of the explanations is there's a big difference between structure and function Structure is, you know, your pelvis, the the bones themselves, the soft tissues themselves, and uh, how big they are is measurable to a degree. And uh, your baby and how big they are is measurable to a degree. But if you're just looking at structure without function, you're going to see what looks like cephalopelvic disproportion a lot, partially because we don't have great measurements on these things. We have approximate measurements. And partially because you're not taking into account function. The baby's head is not a solid bone. It's a bunch of bones meant to smush Mm -hmm. through a smaller passageway than it is at its full size. And the pelvis is not a solid bone. It's a bunch of bones meant to expand and transmit something bigger than itself through while you're in labor. And if those functions are working, then for sure, a larger baby can get through a smaller space, even though on paper, structurally, you have what looks like a baby that's too big to come through that pelvis that's too small. And sometimes they are too big. And that's that's the issue. That's why it's really important to be, I think, with a provider who really gets you and supports you and is on board with you. Because if that provider is saying, wait a second, you have like a head that's this or, you know, an injury to your pelvis, that's not like a mm-hmm. concern, then you're going to really not 
be second guessing them in the moment, which is really important, I think, yeah. um, for safety, yeah. especially when so so that that's the number one thing is have a provider who really, if you want to be back, have a provider or even a vaginal birth the first day. Have a provider who's really supportive. Number mm-hmm. two, so this is again anecdotal. I see a lot of pregnant people every single day. And what I see is, and I, I did a, a little poll on social media, like how many people were told your baby was going to be nine pounds and it was substantially smaller and, and a huge number of people come out. And I don't yeah. think it's nefarious at all. I think that uh, doctors in general, obstetricians mm-hmm. in particular, are trained to look for what might become a problem at some point, right. which is sort of good. We want them to predict those things, but then it could get carried a little too far away because it's like, how likely is that to become a problem? And what are the interventions that we take to prevent that? And what are the side effects of those interventions? And that's a much more complex equation where there's not always a clear answer. And it's sometimes presented as a clear answer rather than these are the pros and cons, the risks and benefits as we know them, what would you like to do? And I think that's something all practitioners can learn over time. I'm certainly still a student every day, 25 years later, learning how I can do things better and and, uh, more comfortably and uh, more effectively. And so, you know, I think towards the beginning of practice for me too, it's like you you know what you know and you want to be so helpful, but sometimes the person on the receiving end of that doesn't want that. And that's okay. That's your choice. It's 100% your choice. And even if it's not the choice I would make, at the the end of the day, I'm supposed to support whatever choice you want to make. That's a a lesson that takes, takes, at least for me, takes time, took time as uh, both a chiropractor and a massage therapist and as a doula, especially like, you know. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It, it's taken a lot of time for me as a doula. Yeah. You then have, you know, it's, it can be hard. It can be it's really hard. hard. And, and very well-intentioned practitioners who want the best for you, who would do the same exact thing for their wife or their daughter um, mm-hmm. are trying to help you. But at the end of the day, it's, it's an informed consent situation. So what happens with the measurement of it, it they're not there's no scale for a baby before it's born it's a computer doing calculations and so the calculations are have a margin of error let's say that margin of error is a pound or a pound and a half so uh if i tell you your baby is going to be seven and a half pounds at birth based on those calculations that means it could be anywhere between six and nine pounds if the margin mm-hmm. of error is a pound and a half a i could have probably told you that without the ultrasound and b the problem with that is if it's ticking upwards if the baby's measuring let's say eight pounds on there now all of a sudden i'm thinking what if it's nine and a half that could be too big it might get stuck right Right. we might have problems we don't want an injured baby nobody wants an injured baby so maybe we should just induce you or do a c-section or whatever Mm -hmm. to prevent that but how many of those babies are actually going to come out nine and a half pounds that's the end of the margin of error on that side and on the other side, you have the same issue. If a baby's measuring uh, six and a half pounds, you start to think, what if it's five because of the margin of error? Maybe the baby's not getting enough nutrition. Maybe the baby, these are all logical things to think and important things to talk about. Mm-hmm. But we can't forget that there is this margin of error and that there is a person who really should be the one at least involved, if not making the decision, you know? Yeah. And so that's that's what I think happens. I think anecdotally, what I see in the office happens with cephalopelvic disproportion. Either we're we're doing measurements and we're we're guesstimating the baby's 
a certain size, but they may not really be that size. And we're not looking at function. So yeah. I, there's there's a kind of a great episode of our podcast called Labor Day Surprises, where it's two women who both had surprises at, at the very end of their pregnancy and their sister-in-laws. Oh. Uh, <laughs> one of them had a surprise breech baby and uh, and had quite a, a, a very interesting story there. And the other one had a surprise 11 pound baby. Wow. Now she is five eight or so. She's tall, but very petite, tiny, small hips. And she gave birth to that baby uh, vaginally, unmedicated. And are you sitting down? Yes. Didn't even tear. Oh my gosh. See, that's amazing. And it was the most incredible thing to watch. And it's one of the few where you kind of saw a very ecstatic, uh, you know, birth almost orgasmic birth at the hospital um and she really talks about how she got into that mind frame but you know her doctor knew the baby was going to be on the larger side and Mm -hmm. said what do you want to do with this and she's like i want to try and he goes well if you don't try we won't know oh that just gave me the chills just now if you don't try we won't know we won't know and and that's something that you know it's like you're saying informed consent like it should be up to that mama to decide if she feels like it's a good thing to try, but we also have to respect that if we have a provider that's not comfortable with it, we have to respect them too. And so maybe that's finding a new provider or working with their partner or something. But yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, I know I'm not a good match for everybody out there who's looking for a pregnancy chiropractor. None of us, mm-hmm. I'm not a good doula for people who are looking for a doula. Same. And um, what's really important is that you find providers that you feel like on the same page that they're a good match. This happens with dating all the time. You date someone you're like, right. you're not for me, but I have a friend who would love you, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know? And, yep. and so it's, it's, I don't think I'm never insulted. If I meet somebody and they're like, no, I don't, I don't want this type of care. Great. I, let me try to find you someone who you would love to see. Yes. Um, and it's the same with obstetricians. There are some obstetricians who are very, I would say paternalistic. They make all the decisions for you. And there are people who love that, who don't want to make the decisions, don't want that yeah. responsibility. You guys are a great match together, but you're not going to be a great match for my you know, Prius driving vegan hippie mom who wants to have the baby, you know, hanging from a chandelier over a tub, (laughs) you know, she's not going to be a great match. Not not so good of a match. And not an insult. It's just who neither one of you want to be with someone who's not a great match. Right. So I always encourage people, like if you're, if you're not with a provider that you feel comfortable with or that they're on the same page or, you know, what's your interests are conflicting then mm-hmm. find a, try to find a provider who who is on the same page with you it makes a huge difference and you don't get to do this very often so i know and it's worth finding that provider just like it's worth dating and dating and dating until you find the one it's worth going out and continuing to find that provider because like you, you like you said like my best friend went to a provider that may not be the best for me and i'm happy that she found him but i might need to find someone else and that's okay to take totally. that time and find that provider. And if you're going the more natural route, even psychological view, you end up having a cesarean, which I don't mm-hmm. think is the worst thing on the planet. Um, no. I think it's a great thing. I, I use, I've been known to say, I think one thing worse than a cesarean being forced on someone who doesn't want one and doesn't need one is not having one available to somebody who does need one. Yeah. Um, cesarean yeah. is a great medical marvel of our time. Uh, mm-hmm. The doctors who learn how to do them and perfect them and do them, you know, with very, very little risk and a lot of skill, 
they're heroes to me. But you know, if you if you want a more natural birth and you end up with a cesarean and you're not with somebody who you felt like you're on the same page with, you're very likely to leave that birth feeling like, did I really need that? You know, yeah. you know, and and Question. just it leads to a lot of not good mental thoughts at a time mm-hmm. that you're already going through a tough. Most people a, a big transition. Yeah. So. I can't say it enough. Having a provider that that is good for you, that's a match for you, is so important on, on all fronts. Beautiful. I love that. And I couldn't agree more. Like finding that provider is so important. Um, and we were just talking about these two cute sister-in-laws and they had a surprise breach. And that is a question is if the baby's breached, what things could someone do on their own to help their baby turn? How soon should they start to worry? Um, how could chiropractic care truly help that baby turn? And we know that there's not a lot of breaches kind of dwindling away. It's it's unfortunate. Um, it's really unfortunate that we're not having as much support in the breach um, world, but we're not. And we have a lot of people put in a corner that if they have a breech baby, they feel like they have to have a cesarean, whether they want one or not. And but they want options. How how can we work with these breech babies? It's really interesting. I think that if there was a lot more option for va- safe vaginal breech delivery, not everybody's mm-hmm. a good candidate for that. But if there was more of an option, primary cesareans would be down. I wonder too substantially, mm-hmm. and as a result, secondary cesareans would be down because all those people who had a C section are told once a cesarean, always, always a cesarean. Yeah. Um, you know, don't even get a chance. So I think it would bring down the cesarean rate. Uh, you know, greatly as a whole. The question is like, what is a safe breach birth? And there's a lot of debate around that. But one thing's for sure, there are some people who are much better off seemingly having a cesarean birth with their mm-hmm. breach and other people who are much better off with the option to try to deliver vaginally with their breach. And you have uh, an episode on your podcast talking about that specific topic with Dr. Bur- or not Dr. Bur- Dr. Brock and uh, some other providers yeah, Talk we have a, about what that looks like. a three-part series called Breach 101, mm-hmm. and it's two midwives and two obstetricians just mm-hmm. talking everything breach from all angles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with Dr. Brock, we have another episode called Vaginal Breach After Cesarean Breach, which is uh, our mutual patient, Dr. Donna Liu, who had a, a breach with her first and ended up in cesarean because her doctor didn't, you know, she was in, in labor. She pretty much went into mm-hmm. labor and didn't have a chance to meet Dr. Brock. Oh, and wow. at the hospital, her doctor just doesn't have the confidence, the, the comfort to deliver breech babies. He was very apologetic, but she had a C-section. And mm-hmm. one of the few people I've seen over 20 years who was breech again with no known reason with her second, mm-hmm. Dr. Brock also equally baffled, but said that she's a great candidate for a VBAC and a great candidate for a breech birth. And that the two, the risks that come along with those don't compound each other. It's mm-hmm. just two different sets of risks. What would you like to do? And uh, she opted for the vaginal breech birth after cesarean breech birth. And so I have them both on and they talk a lot about the decision making that went into it and what the process was actually like. When it comes to breech, I have a premise, which is that let's talk about a singleton baby in a first pregnancy. Just that's where we have the most data. I have a premise that at the end of pregnancy, babies generally want to be head down. And the reason I have that premise is because, uh, according to Williams Obstetrics, uh, it's, these numbers are a little bit old, but still seemingly relevant. At 28 weeks into a first singleton pregnancy, about 50% of babies are not head down yet. And 50%. 50% at 28 weeks. Mm-hmm. Now, at 32 weeks, 
about 10% are not head down yet. So you go from 50 out of 100 babies that are not head down to only 10 out of 100 babies in a four-week period of time. Why? That's a lot of babies that turn in a very short period of time. It's a big migration. And it's seemingly because they're running out of space. When they have space Mm -hmm. to move around, they could move all over the womb. It doesn't really matter. Nobody really cares. They're exploring. So would you. Uh, as they start to run out of space, they have to pick a position that's you know most More accommodating with the space that they have. And generally, in a typically shaped uterus for a typically shaped baby, that is head down, and that's where they try to go. And then at birth, you know, thirty-seven weeks and beyond, in that first pregnancy, the breach rate is about three to four percent. So it goes all the way down to three to four to one hundred mm-hmm. from fifty. And you know that's that's where the premise comes from that at the end of pregnancy babies generally want to be head down and if they don't go there there must be a reason for it there's usually a reason it could be something structural it could be something functional sometimes we have no idea why like in the case of Dr. Donalu why would babies uh, structurally well there's a lot to consider maybe the cord is wrapped around them funny maybe the placenta is in the way especially when it's on the front wall it seems to pose more of a getting in the way factor mm-hmm. um and, and none of these by the way are absolute factors I've a, a lot of people that come in with a placenta in the front and the anterior. baby does turn yeah. yeah but it seems like of the ones that don't turn more of them have the anterior placenta amniotic fluid seems to play a role so if on the amniotic fluid index normal is somewhere between 8 and 24 with all of those being normal it's a big range so 8 9 and 10 is healthy but not so much fluid volume for a baby to move around 18 19 and 20 also healthy but so much fluid volume mm-hmm. that even after 32 33 34 weeks your baby may have a lot more room to move around than other babies and not have a sort of a, a trigger to want to yeah. pick a position and get head down and if you add other things to that, like it's your third pregnancy, so there's more room in the Expansion uterus anyway. Yep. And uh, if you're tall, and if the baby's measuring small, you kind of take all those things into account. Not all breaches are exactly the same. Um, the shape of the uterus is a big deal too. So sometimes uh, if the shape is different, then it seems like not conducive for the baby to want to get head down or be able to. Functionally, it's your body. Your low back, hips, and pelvis are supposed to be pretty loose, relaxed, and open at the end of pregnancy. Your body's doing that hormonally in several different ways. But if everything's stiff, tight, and rigid from various different reasons, injuries, uh, excessive workouts, or other things like that without enough stretching, then you could have, especially if you're strong, you could have a pelvis that's strong and tight and rigid. And so as the baby's running out of space, maybe down there is not where they're being invited to go. Maybe under the rib cage is a lot more inviting. Or if they're trying to move, as we said before, the the body may not be able to accommodate the movements the same way. Mm -hmm. So when I work on on breach, I'm not doing anything for the baby itself. I'm not doing anything to the baby. I'm not trying to turn a baby or move a baby. I'm working on the musculoskeletal structures of the baby's surroundings, which is the mom. And if they're stiff, tight, and rigid, we're creating more functional space using massage to loosen up the soft tissues and chiropractic adjustments to uh, open up those restricted joints. And maybe gravity by using, we have tables that invert. So maybe a little bit of gravity if something's really stuck, you know, trying to give uh, the baby an opportunity to move naturally with gravity. And we also in our office have acupuncture. So we also do moxibustion, which is, um, mm-hmm. seems to stimulate more movement, natural movement with, so it's synergistic. It can create more functional space and they can create more movement in that space. Gives those mm-hmm. babies a chance to turn naturally. And, uh, you know, when do we start? Usually around 32 weeks. But I always tell people, look, 
at this point in that first pregnancy of 10 out of 100 babies, roughly statistically, that are breached. And at birth, it's only going to be about three. Yeah. So still if I was a change. betting person, I would still bet your baby's going to turn. The stuff I'm doing is really just in insurance, you know, trying to make and, and it's going to be helpful for birth anyway. But I tell them not to panic at that point. And then, of course, you have to look at all those factors that we mentioned to see, like, you know, who's more or less likely to turn and, um, you know, intel based on on the fluid, the uterine shape, the placenta location and so on. My son was so my V-back baby, he was he kept going breach at, at like 32 weeks. He was going breach. And then she she would like flip him. She'd kind of like motion him and he'd flip and then. The next visit, I was like, his hiccups are up here again, and he would be breech. And he did that uh-huh. until 36 weeks. And um, I think it was like 34 and a half, like or 35. And she was like, We have to trust this baby. We have to trust that this baby needs to be had up for whatever reason. And I was like, kind of grouchy because I was like, I don't want to have another C section just because I had a breech baby, you know? Um, because I really wanted this feedback. But yeah, at 36 weeks, I went in and he was head down and he stayed Do you remember head down. if your fluid was like towards the more generous side, middle side or lower side? Um, it wasn't super high, but it was, it was on the higher of the normal. And I, and he did have a shorter cord, uh, when he came out. So I don't know if maybe something was bugging him there, but, um, anyway, yeah, he flipped head down and yeah, he, it was great, but it was hard. It was hard not to get panicky sure know? yeah um, and that's and the thing a, a lot more people have to think about breach than actually have breach at the end yeah so yeah. you know if you there are four million births in the united states every year you know and 10 percent of them are breach at 32 weeks that's four hundred thousand people you're thinking about breach right. but right. only about three to four percent are breach at the end like 160,000. yeah yeah i even had a client i'm gonna jump off breach topic but i had a client that was breach and was scheduled for a version the next morning, but went into spontaneous labor that night. Oh. When yeah, like we went in at like 1 a.m. Baby was head down. She was oh, like wow. nine centimeters when we got there. So it was like the contractions, her body just needed contractions to finish rotating the baby. I have no idea, but but sometimes it can happen. Probably. Um okay, so we kind of let's see, could any of says could any of these help someone um Oh, post-C-section that was in the, in regards to like cupping myofascial release, um, and stuff like that, that you guys do in your office as well. Do, is that something that you would suggest? Yeah. Uh, is that another type of body work essentially? New mama TLC. I think whether you have a cesarean or a vaginal birth, you know, it's, it's a lot on the mind and body and nervous system. So mm-hmm. I try to do, you know, a longer session soon after usually by two weeks regardless of the mode of delivery unless there's some kind of injury then um you're good we can do most things and uh the goals are to sometimes there are are smaller injuries from birth like injury to a tailbone or a pubic bone or something like that so we can address those right away i've had people push a rib out uh pushing pop a rib pushing so hard uh so we can obviously we can pop that back in after vaginal birth like right after birth And so the goal is if there are any injuries, we, we deal with them right away. And then we're after that, it's sort of like the sports massage when you've run a marathon, 
just wear and tear in the body and trying to, you know, move, move that excess fluid around and mm-hmm. have it be reabsorbed. So we do some lymphatic work um, and finding those, those, you know, overworked muscles, you know, and uh, relaxing those muscles. And at the same time, if we can work it in a little central nervous system relaxation work to kind of help uh, almost reboot the system, you know, yeah. and uh, come back online with calm and quiet so either a little meditation and or some cranial work and uh so while our normal visits around 25 minutes at at that point we do more like an hour-long session Mm -hmm. to try to get all that in in the first one or two postpartum visits uh there's also a great opportunity at that point because um especially people have more chronic things uh, that they deal with pain wise you still have the pregnancy relaxation hormone for a bit but you don't have the baby inside there pushing on you 24 7. so you're kind of more moldable clay and we've had several instances of somebody will have a, a lifelong you know chronic thing from an injury or yeah and, and then uh during that period we have a, a better shot at making a long-term correction there i wouldn't have even thought of that actually like I've got this long-term back issue. I've got all this relaxing and, you know, great stuff in my body. Let's work with that. Yes. Let's use the advantage. Um, I had a patient who was really eager to do that. And then she got COVID and she couldn't come back. It created a whole bunch of problems for her, but she couldn't come back. And she's like, "Ah, damn, now I'm going to have to have another baby. I was going to say, that's what I would say. Now I have to have another baby. (laughs) That is really awesome. You know, and like you said, it doesn't matter, C-section, vaginal, like our bodies go through quite an event and take a lot of shifts and changes. And um, so chiropractic care can be beneficial after as well. And, you know, we've talked about it with babies as well, right? Like they go through a lot and that can be impactful. My little boy didn't poop for like ever. <laughs> was oh, like, wow. It was like nine or 10 days and we got him adjusted and he had the biggest pooped yep. in the world that and all then the time. passed out and slept all night i woke yep. up all engorged and i was like oh my gosh i know but, it's the number one feedback is my baby slept so well after the adjustment yeah yeah so you know we need it babies need it it's it's so impactful and back in the day way way a long time ago i just i didn't love the idea chiropractic care scared me right it, it can be scary because you hear some people talk about it like you said either someone's yelling at you or you know like it can be scary how sometimes people talk about it, but it doesn't yeah. have to be scary. And if you find that, you know, really good skilled chiropractor, they're going to take care of you and they're going to help you through this process. and going to help you with pubic symphysis, which is another question. I know we're kind of running out of time, but if you have anything to share on pubic symphysis, sure. um, that is a really big one. And the more we have, the more babies we have, sometimes it starts earlier. Yeah. And then it's weird also. Sometimes it doesn't happen at all. Like it'll it'll plague somebody in a first pregnancy and they'll not be there. And then it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, for the scary, just a comment on the scared about chiropractic bit. Certainly chiropractic is not for everyone, but it comes back to finding a good match. Uh, as I said at the mm-hmm. beginning, there's a lot of different ways to find and release those restrictions. Some of them are very, very gentle. It doesn't have to be that yeah. uh, cracking noise that uh, a lot of people are off put by um, or violent looking kind of maneuvers. Uh, so, yeah. you know, if you want the benefits of chiropractic, but that's what's holding you back, find someone who does a, a low impact technique or something like a network like a or drop activator, drop paper, occipital technique. There's so many that are, that are gentle neuroemotional technique. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Okay, so in terms of the pubic bone, there's a right and left side to the pubic bone. They're separated by a pubic cartilage. And so the way there, I've learned over time, there's different types of pubic pain and, and they present differently. And I'm, it's still definitely a work in progress. I'm learning new things all the time. The most common one that presents during pregnancy is pain on sort of the lower pubic bone, the underside of the pubic bone where the thigh meets the bone. And uh, it's usually only on one side or substantially worse on one side. And it's like when you separate your knees, like when you bring that pubic bone apart, the right and left side apart. So if you get out of bed one leg at a time, mm-hmm. or if you get out of the car one leg at a time, or when you engage it to roll over in bed, if you haven't been moving for a while, or it, a, a very common one is kind of lean over to put on pants and lift one leg and then ouch, it's very painful. Yeah. What? seems to be happening there in most cases is you have an imbalance in the right and left side of your pubic bone let's say the adductor muscle coming up your thigh attaching to the underside of that pubic bone is pulling harder on one side than the other side and when you're totally stable um, your body can accommodate for that but as those relaxation hormones kick in and they kick in pretty early you know, the pubic cartilage that's holding it together maybe can't compensate for that imbalance. And so the right and left side end up not lined up with each other anymore, but it torqued. And so every time you engage it and pull them apart, it's very painful. Mm -hmm. If you could get them to line up again, then it would be either not painful at all or less painful. And so the combination that I use in that case that tends to work pretty well, but not always, is either massaging out the upper adductor like a deep massage to lengthen that adductor so it's not pulling so hard and then a trigger point right where that adductor inserts to the underside of the pubic bone and uh, Mm -hmm. especially so it's it's sort of an active release trigger point as i'm pressing into it they engage the muscle and then release the muscle engage and release a couple of times and then there's a little test that i do for it also which is if you're laying on your back um, or in a semi-reclining position, and your knees are bent, feet on the, on the massage table or yoga mat or anything like that. And I'll try to gently pull the knees apart against okay. resistance from the mom. Mm-hmm. If that is weak, first of all, it doesn't really have a lot of strength and also elicits like that sharpness in the place where the pain has been uh-huh. bothering them. That's a pretty good sign that this is the mechanism and that doing that combination of massage and trigger point and then adjusting the pubic bone, I do it with a drop table, will will give significant relief. Wow. Okay. So that could be a test to say like, okay, this could be impactful if you do this technique. Right. And then if it's not, then I, I wouldn't do it necessarily because it's not the most comfortable thing mm-hmm. um uh, it's always up to them i, I could still yeah. offer it and see if they want to do it even if it's a long shot or not do it even if it's a sure bet but yeah. other types of pubic pain that i have identified are definitely the pubic symphysis cartilage itself sometimes gets mm-hmm. inflamed so it's not one side or the other it's right in the middle and it's higher up on the pubic bone oh that's you that was me <laughs> yep yep and it just ow and so I find uh, acupuncture and uh, I'll tell you something else in a second, but acupuncture, icing, and a support belt uh, that lifts the belly up off the mm-hmm. pubic bone are some of the things that are more relieving there. And then the other, the third type is the round ligaments. They attach to the 
to the soft tissue right near the pubic bone on the on sort of the top ledge of it, but towards the outside, the corners, the upper corners of it. And if you have a, a round ligament that's just tight and pulling all the time, then that becomes very sensitive. So in those cases, we try to massage out or, or gently stretch the round ligament until it relaxes. And that usually takes the pressure off of there. One thing I would also say, if you're feeling it there in the pubic symphysis cartilage, and especially if you're also feeling it in the back by the sacrum or tailbone, is to look for a hyperactive uh, pelvic floor muscle, hypertonic pelvic floor. Because oh. the pelvic floor runs from the back of the pubic bone to the front of the tailbone. So when it gets really tight, it, it'll pull on both of those areas. And mm. especially athletic women, but not only Sometimes you have a hypertonic pelvic floor, like from all the different activities you do to strengthen, tighten, you, you might also be doing that to your pelvic floor. And then up until not that long ago, all we knew about pelvic floor is it can get weak. And so everybody is sort of instructed to do these Kegels and strengthen it. But if it's already hypertonic and you strengthen it, you might be making it worse. So thankfully we have these pelvic uh, health physical therapists, uh, a specialty now, people who are just training on on that and how to strengthen the the weaker ones and loosen the, the tight ones and making pregnancy and birth more comfortable more functional and postpartum all those postpartum symptoms you know can be can be treated yeah so as you're saying this like weird question so i had all that during labor and then since so i am really active i'm like a road cyclist and i like to lift and all these things and i get adductor pain now where it, it's no. like not as tight and burning right there in that pubic symphysis, but like in that adductor, do you think something could still be connected through that pelvic floor or even just. Well, it's always know. worth checking if, yeah. if you haven't had it checked, you know, it uh, adductor by itself could just be adductor. Like, right. We could yeah. so, sometimes just from the workouts that you're doing, lifting especially could uh, make them really tight and just need mm -hmm. to be, you know, either rolled out or dug out. And you might benefit from those trigger points too on, on the ends where it inserts at the top and the bottom. But pelvic, pelvic floor could be a factor. There sometimes are other factors too, like a even little drop in continence, like where you when when you get the urge, it's like I got to go right now. Yeah. Um, uh, or you know, pain on urination or intercourse or things like that. Uh, uh, or if you jump on a trampoline and you pee or sneeze and you pee. Mm. Those are, are signs that something's up at the pelvic floor. It's not functioning quite right and worth uh, investigating with a specialist. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't even remember that even C-sections can impact that pelvic floor and our whole body and create that tension and restrict us from having good mobility. Right? That is an so amazing point because it is absolutely true. The end of pregnancy puts a lot of strain on the, preg yeah. uh, on the pelvic floor, no matter how you deliver. Yeah. So again... Definitely check out the chiropractors in your area. Um, so for those who maybe can't have chiropractors or can't have access, are there any tips or maybe on the Informed Pregnancy Plus channel that people can learn how to not necessarily adjust themselves, but do stretches, do um, those things that can help create that mobility and help them have these vaginal births that they're wanting? Yeah, there's, there's tons. Again, spinning babies has a, a whole bunch of great exercises that you can do. It's a good idea. We, we have a course that we do called labor needs, K N E A D S that, um, uh, we could, we don't have it. We only do it live right now, but, um, where we're teaching partners and doulas and other support people to do body work before, during, and after birth. 
and um, it's a great idea for us to kind of shoot that and put it up on the streaming service. I can't, I can't promise if or when, but I would <laughs> certainly try to do that. And the other thing is, there's a great listing of chiropractors with separate postgraduate training. Uh, you should know that anybody who is a licensed chiropractor can work on pregnant people. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it doesn't have to be a specialty. Um, Webster trained. Yeah, it doesn't have to be Webster trained. It doesn't have to be somebody who is, you know, prenatal chiropractor. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some chiropractors who are not comfortable working on, on pregnancies. Some don't have all that much experience, but there are a lot who are not like prenatal. They're just family chiropractors. And as a result, they see a lot of pregnancy. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have a specialty to do it. So unless there's no chiropractor in your neighborhood, then there may not be there may be people around who can work on you, even if it's not a specialty clinic or like in our case, we call it pregnancy focused chiropractic. Mm -hmm. The other thing is there's a great website by the international chiropractic pediatric association that does a lot of the postgraduate training in pediatric and chiropractic prenatal and chiropractic care. And they have a listing by zip code and their website is ICPA, the number four kids.com. And, um, you can search by zip code in the United States and Canada and maybe some other international options. We'll, we'll make sure to also put that in the show notes for everyone listening. And last but not least, there was a big question is, does is anybody not qualified to receive chiropractic care? Yeah, I mean, I I would almost say that there are there are some conditions as during pregnancy that come up that are delicate. And uh, during those very delicate conditions, I love to work together with the obstetric provider. Um, Mm -hmm. At that point, it's usually going to be an OBGYN or a maternal fetal medical specialist and sort of assess their comfort level with the things that we do. Almost always, it's going to be modifications. Okay. It's not that we can't adjust them at all or do any body work with them. It's going to be modifications. And sometimes we'll just wait a couple of weeks and then do the treatments. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, you can do something for everyone who, you know, who has things that are stiff, tight, and rigid and are either uncomfortable or want to improve their function. Right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking this time out of your day with all of your projects. You've got so many hands and buckets or <laughs> you wear so many hats these days. So it's really been such an honor to have you on the show and answering all these amazing questions. I full on believe in chiropractic care. Like I said, a long time ago, I was like, ah, and then I started like getting into chiropractic and I'm like, no, this is really impactful. Like yeah. on so many levels. I mean, I'm not even pregnant or planning on conceiving, but I still go to the chiropractor because it really does impact my life in a better way. You know, we, we have moms that come in here and uh, they'll, they'll make an appointment and they'll say, I want to make a postnatal appointment with Dr. Berlin and the reception team will say, oh, uh, how old is your baby? And they'll say 13 years old. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you don't have to only be pregnant or postpartum to come here. A, post, a postnatal. <laughs> yeah. A postnatal visit. How old? 13. Okay. (laughs) That's just called a a chiropractic physic. That's all that you have to say. (laughs) It is. But once you have the baby, all the bending, lifting, holding, feeding, emotional stress from, yeah, and things like that. So, you know, it's the maintenance when during those, that, that active phase of life is important. Yeah. 
I know. And oh my gosh, I just said, I'm going to end. I feel like I could talk to you all day, but something that I feel like also impacted me. And I know like a lot of our doula clients is breastfeeding, right? So when we're breastfeeding, we're like punched and curled and our necks all down and we're in wonky positions. And then we're out and we're like, oh, we're stretching. And then we're like, oh, this is painful. Or all of a sudden my milk supply is not that great. And weirdly enough, chiropractic adjustments can help your body and you nurse better and help your production because your baby's going to nurse easier. You're going to nurse easier. Everyone's going to be better. Yeah. Well, when you're in a lot of pain, the stress hormones, uh, yep. you know, put you more in an emergency mode and making milk is not an emergency function. So, um, there's that. And then there's, there's literally just the, uh, here's one tip I would say that seems to help a lot of people. If you have a nursing station, especially in those early couple of months, and you could put like a full length mirror in front of you so you can see what's happening without looking straight down. Yeah. That seems to be that seems to be helpful for a lot of people. Absolutely. Yeah. To just be able to see and not and not be cur- you know, curled over. So I mean you love looking at your baby, but yeah. You can look down at your baby versus like trying to get that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then the the one thing that gets a lot of people is the baby's in a, you know, you're trying to get some sleep and the baby's in a, in a comfortable position and it's not comfortable for you, but you don't want to move but, because yeah. you don't want to wake them up. Yep, nope. <laughs> oh, that's gold for the chiropractors. Oh, it is. It is. Oh, well, thank you so, so much again. It's such an honor. We're going to make sure to have all of your links to your channel, to your page, to your website, this uh, chiropractic search forum everything everything will be in the show notes so everyone will be able to find you and like i said if you're listening and you haven't yet hopefully now you're not driving if you were driving (laughs) stop and go follow follow dr berlin oh thank you so so much for having me and for the incredible work you do i could also talk to you all day and i'm going to have you back on our informed pregnancy podcast and i I can't wait to hear the your full story i would love to share it it's quite the story (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share to submit your story. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, the worldwide database for VBAC doulas, and more, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.